This is David Metzner, the managing partner of ACG Analytics. ACG Analytics leads at the intersection of capital markets and public policy. Today, we'll be discussing the 2020 election and recent developments in the Democratic primaries. With me today, I have our Chief Operating Officer, Gabby Hefesa, and our Director of Research, John East. In 2016, John wrote a piece of research, Trump's Path to Victory, outlining how Donald Trump could win the presidency. And if you watched election night, you could follow John's thesis from Florida up the Atlantic coast and into the industrial heartland and watch Donald Trump become president. Today, we're going we're gonna to take our crystal ball out again, take a look at what our predictions are for 2020 and help you analyze them yourselves. John, we are less than a month out to the Iowa caucuses, then quickly followed by the New Hampshire primary, and then an early March Super Tuesday. Are there trends that can predict the future here, John? And the key point is, is there a theory of momentum? If one candidate emerges from Iowa and New Hampshire as the winner, will that propel them into Super Tuesday, or should we look at these as not interconnected? I do think that the races are interconnected. Momentum builds, and and every victory helps you to secure the next. The corollary is also true. Underperforming can help hurt you in a future race and cause you to underperform down the ballot. I don't know that this year, New Hampshire is quite as important as it might otherwise be because you have in that state a favorite son, a favorite daughter in the candidacies of Senator Warren from Massachusetts and Senator Sanders from Vermont, both neighboring states. So they should do well in New Hampshire. The problem for them is if either one of them does not do well. That is more of an issue for that candidate's momentum. In Iowa, it looks like everyone is within the margin of error in the latest polls that I find credible. So Iowa matters, but it's unclear until Nevada and South Carolina who is best positioned to perform well on Super Tuesday. We have another complicating factor on Super Tuesday. That is where the former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, has decided to make his unconventional stand in the Democratic nomination process. Well, speaking of momentum, it's going to work a little bit differently this time because there was some drama last election with the DNC and the way they structure their conventions. Can you explain to us how the structures will work this time around and whether that could affect the momentum? Both the rules are different this time and the calendar is also more compressed. And you have a third difference this race as opposed to 2016, and that is the sheer number of viable candidates going into the race. This makes it very easy for a number of different candidates to come to the convention with delegates, which would prevent anyone from winning on the first ballot, which brings us to the rule change that was made in 2016 versus this year, which was to prevent the so-called superdelegates from being able to vote on the first ballot unless person for whom they vote would have won anyway. That was to make the process appear more democratic. I don't know that that will work because if anyone but the person who has the most delegates is given the nomination, I think it's going to look undemocratic to the democratic base and make it very difficult to bring the party together. Let's talk about individual candidates, John. And how does Biden stack up among the democratic faithful going in, particularly Bernie Sanders? It seems to have a particularly loyal base. Well, with the exception of a couple polls in early October where Senator Warren was statistically tied 
with the former vice president. This race has always been Biden's to lose. He has been the clear favorite where I think that he has an Achilles heel. There's probably more than one is that I don't know that people support him fervently. Sanders supporters support him fervently. They are going to get up. They're going to go to the polls. It's not going to matter where there's whether there is ice on the ground, they will get there, pull the lever, or vote in the caucus for Sanders. I suspect a lot of people who may gravitate towards Biden could change their mind. And if he does underperform in South Carolina, and if he, there is a slip-up, and it doesn't look as of today's speaking that he is going to slip up in the first three races, but if he does and he underperforms in South Carolina, I could see his candidacy crumbling because it would put into question one of the major reasons that people have to vote for him, and that is whether he can bring the Obama coalition back to the table, which is basically what the Democratic nominee is going to need to secure the presidency. So what am I looking for? I'm looking to see how he does among Hispanic voters in Nevada, and I'm looking to see how he does among African American voters in South Carolina. John, Richard Nixon once said that in order to become president, you have to run to the right in the primary and move to the middle in the general election. That is not true for the Democratic primary. If Bernie Sanders is the nominee, can he move to the center? Is that possible? The appeal of a Sanders vote is sort of the appeal, I think, that someone like Ron Paul, the person has been consistent, the person has been consistent for many decades, whether you agree with him or not, you know that he believes what he believes. That makes it much more difficult, however, to pivot. There is less gray. So I think that is a problem in the general election for a Sanders candidacy. I think Elizabeth Warren handles some of those issues a little bit better in how she frames liberal policies within the context of writing rules for the road to allow the capitalist system to work. At the end of the day, she may adopt or Sanders and Warren may have a vision of public policy that's fairly close. And I know there are differences and people can maximize or minimize those. But I believe that Warren frames some of the more liberal policy choices in a way that's more palatable to moderate voters. And I would say one way we're seeing that right now is with their intention on how they're voting for USMCA, which has been widely discussed as a difference between Warren and Sanders, that Warren tends to vote for it while Sanders does not. But on what you just said, they have similar policies. Do they have a similar similar base? They haven't shared a similar base in most of the polling that has been conducted. Warren takes more votes from upper middle class sections of the economy, and Sanders does better among blue collar voters. I think he does better among men. But I did see something emerge in some recent data, and if it's true, very good news for Warren's campaign. She's many campaigns second choice. That means that she could unify the party in a way that other candidacies could not. That's not great news for Warren when people are heading to the polls. You can only pull the lever for one person. We don't have ranked voting or Condorcet voting, whatever you want to call it, except in Maine. But it does mean that at a contested convention, she could emerge as the nominee. Let's, let's turn to one of my favorite candidates, Mike Bloomberg. 
you know, I've said for months that Mike Bloomberg is underestimated. He has passed this week a thousand employees on his campaign. He's out hiring the best staff in every state. He has the best digital campaign. And I'll predict he'll have the best get out the vote effort. Will this harvest enough delegates for Mike Bloomberg to be a factor at the convention? So, John, before you answer that, David, I have to tell you that I had a conversation with John last week in which he asked me if I knew any Bloomberg voters. And he's out on the hunt for these Bloomberg voters. I, I don't know if he's had any success finding them, but... Well, someone's answering the, the pollsters have them at number four. It would be hard for me to imagine that an effort of this magnitude will not harvest enough delegates to make him a convention force. If anyone comes to the convention with delegates and we have a contested convention, they can play a key role in the selection of the eventual nominee. It is also true that Bloomberg has promised to support the eventual nominee and his money may talk. Where I have an issue with trying to find that Bloomberg voter is he doesn't seem to animate a lot of people on the left. And if you are a moderate, you may go with someone like Joe Biden or Buttigieg, and it's not clear that you go with the billionaire from Manhattan, does not have the same appeal at the county fair. He doesn't seem to relate to the average voter. I mean, he wants to rip soda from your hands. So who are these Bloomberg voters? With enough money, he probably can turn out some people. What is different about Super Tuesday than in some of the other races? Well, on Super Tuesday, 11 of the 12 states voting have open primaries, which means that non-committed, unaffiliated, independent can vote. I believe Maine is the exception to that. But in the other states, he could bring unaffiliated voters to the polls. I don't have a lot of faith in unaffiliated voters. They seem to be the voters that make up their mind at the last minute. They seem to be voters who don't want to get out of bed if it's raining. Before we pivot to President Trump's re-election effort, let's, let's put a prediction on the table. Uh, John, who do you think, and then we'll go to Gabby, and then I'll, I'll give mine, who do you think will be the Democratic nominee? Today, I think it's Biden. But I think Biden has a very fragile campaign. You wouldn't know it from the level of support. You wouldn't know it from how long he's maintained that support. But I believe he is fragile. And if he were to fall, I think the natural inheritor would be Sanders. But I think Sanders really does have a general election issue. Right now, I'm thinking that Warren is the most formidable candidate, even though her fundraising has gone down, her polling numbers have, have gone down. It looks like momentum is not on her side. But if the recent data is true and that she's everyone's second choice, if she can unite the liberal and more moderate factions of the party, and specifically if she polls really well among women, suburban educated women are President Trump's Achilles heel. Who would Biden pick as his VP? Biden has indicated that he would pick a woman. He doesn't know what woman. He couldn't name the women that he was trying to name. It was a fairly embarrassing press conference he held about selecting a vice presidential pick. He had another one where he said he would consider a Republican, but then he couldn't name a Republican. So it was a little bit befuddled, shall we say. But I suspect that someone like Amy Klobuchar, Senator Klobuchar, would be a good pick. Gabby? I would say a lot of my Brooklyn liberal New York friends are excited about Warren. That being said, I'd imagine that's a very specific demographic, which probably plays into her issue. I think what you said, John, about the Democrats really wanting to focus on the general election, the big fear being Trump getting the presidency again. 
really makes a great case for Biden. And I think ultimately, although he tends to have a lot of slip ups, he will take the nomination. My call is I'm going to join you. I think Biden gets the nomination. I think he picks Senator Klobuchar as VP and he announces Mike Bloomberg uh, for Secretary of the Treasury. Whatever delegates uh, Bloomberg have has or pledged to, to Biden, whatever delegates Klobuchar has or pledged to Biden, and that puts him over the top on the first ballot. With those thoughts, let's uh, shift to the president's reelect. What should we be looking for, John, on election night? You called it correctly uh, almost four years ago. What states does he have to carry? Well, there are really six states, Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Three of those states have active Senate races. So I am looking at North Carolina, Arizona, and Michigan as bellwether states because I'm going to be looking at any coattails. It appears that the top of the ticket, President Trump, has with the Senate candidates or vice versa. Who is motivated to get out and why? Arizona is also a very key state for President Trump. It is certainly possible that President Trump could win without maybe two of the six states I just mentioned, but it becomes increasingly more difficult. Do you think President barely lost New Hampshire 2016? Could they offset your states by picking up New Hampshire? They could, but I think as long as they allow people from Massachusetts to vote in New Hampshire, it won't happen. Let me ask this. One of the things that concern me about the president's reelect is the state of the economy, right? That, that's the famous mantra uh, from the Clinton race. Several of these states have seen a decrease in manufacturing jobs. Michigan, Pennsylvania, re-election is he, he got elected to because he pledged his, his support to the blue collar workers. If he hasn't delivered, does that undermine his message? Yes. It's also true that where people think they are going matters, not just where they've come. If it looks like we have new trade deals, if it looks like the, there is a broad sunlit future on the horizon, I think even with poorer numbers than people would wish, President Trump could pull through. There's another factor I think that's very important to mention that people should look for. Uh, yes, the economy is staying strong. Hourly workers working more hours, earning more is certainly that is certainly a factor. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? Key presidential campaign question. I think the other side, a lot of these so-called, we'll call them red states, purple states, have suffered the most casualties in America's overseas wars over the last decade. When then-candidate Trump went out to some of these counties, he pledged to largely Democrats, members of the American Legion whose kids had fought, some who had died. He pledged no more wars. One of the things, John, I'm going to be looking for is can he keep America out of conflicts this year and perhaps even wind down some of those conflicts? This is important to the base for two reasons. One is his keeping his promises about decreasing our military posture in the world. And I believe President Trump has tried to project strength by enhanced military funding, not enhanced military engagement. And the second reason that these conflicts are important is because they cost a lot of money. And it brings to question in the mind of many base Republican voters why we are spending money on places that we can't find on a map, that we can't pronounce, that we know nothing about, and protecting their borders and building their infrastructure while neglecting our own. We're trying to, I think it's more than the base. I'm looking at Democratic, say Vietnam era veterans who've always voted Democratic in certain counties in Iowa, switched last time on this particular promise. 
I think it's going to be a litmus test. That's one of the things I'll be looking for. Macroeconomic growth coupled with a calm international situation. Well, I think it's certainly true to say war would change everything. So shifting gears here a tiny bit. On the left, it covers a pretty broad range of the spectrum. We have these people we know as never Trumpers, moderates on the right, or maybe just establishment Republicans. Does the candidate on the left really water that down and maybe invigorate the base on the right? I think it's possible. I think Sanders probably scares a lot of the Republican base more than others. But Trump's base is not totally the traditional Republican base. So there are a couple variables there that are harder to predict. Can Trump sustain the coalition that brought him to the White House? That is why the manufacturing question is so important. That is why on some of these issues where President Trump has said, agreed with Democrats for many years, we should have fair trade, not free trade. Our footprint in the Middle East is too wide. We don't want all these wars. He's actually appealed to people who would otherwise have been agreeing with Democrats. Whether they got up and voted is not always clear. It seems that some people who came out to vote for him in 2016 were disaffected white male blue collar voters. They might have agreed with the Democrats on many of these issues, but for what other reason, for whatever reason, weren't going out to vote. But they did come out to vote for President Trump. Will they come out and vote again? I don't know that they will come out to vote if the nominee is Biden. They might stay home. They might feel that Biden has enough bona fides that if they are not particularly enamored with President Trump, they don't feel threatened the way they felt threatened by Hillary Clinton. John, before we pivot to what I consider a black swan issue is the Republicans losing control of the Senate, do you care to make a, a prediction on the presidential election? I talked to a member of Congress, a Republican from Wisconsin, told me that the 20 percent in his district that love Trump and the 20 percent that hate Trump are more electrifying than ever. So we could see an historic turnout. Could he win re-election but lose the popular vote again? He lost the popular vote by, was it, 3 million votes? Could he, could he lose the popular vote by 5 million votes and still win the Electoral College? I expect if you live in California and you only sort of hated Trump before, but you really hate him now, you'll probably come out and vote. And so President Trump could lose more of the popular vote. But at the end of the day, it's the same number of electoral votes. And so it is possible, and it's in fact, I think likely that President Trump will lose the popular vote again. But something that's changed in my thinking, I had assumed that it was going to be more difficult for Trump to win re-election because people who stayed home in 2016, thinking that it was Hillary Clinton, everyone said 90%, said, why waste my time and go vote for a foregone conclusion? And now, they're going to be very motivated to come out. But I've moderated that view to an extent. I believe that the Democratic Party is going to have a difficult time coming together to support the eventual nominee if we have a contested convention. Let me ask you something else, John. Which Democratic candidate do you think would result in the highest turnout for the general election? Do you think more people would come out to vote if Bernie was the candidate or if Biden was the candidate? I think more people People would turn out to vote if Bernie was the candidate. If I look at your question in a different way, I think if 
Amy Klobuchar were the candidate, she would win the most votes in the electoral college. But more people wouldn't turn out. Let's let's move on, as I mentioned earlier, to the Senate. There are 35 seats up for re-election in the Senate. Only 12 are competitive. As Mitch McConnell says, the Senate exists to stop bad things from happening. Or the founding fathers said, said to cool the passions of the lower house, the Senate was created. John, do you think the Senate could flip? I do. We could wake up less than a year from now and Senator Sanders could be President Sanders. Democrats will retain the House and we could have a slim majority democratically controlled Senate, totally within the realm of possibility. Let's briefly touch on the states where Republicans are most vulnerable, Arizona, Colorado, Maine, and North Carolina. I I believe we'll hold Arizona, lose Colorado, hold Maine, and I don't know in North Carolina. I almost agree with that. I, I do believe the race in Arizona is very difficult for the Republican incumbent. She basically has drawn her worst possible general election opponent. He has outfunded her. He is the husband of former Representative Gabby Giffords, who was almost assassinated. That family has a special place in the hearts of the electorate. So I do believe that Senator McSally has the worst race that she could otherwise have. If it wasn't Mark Kelly that looks to be her Democratic opponent, I would be looking at that race very differently. Both parties are going to camp out in Arizona. That is one of the states that's also important in the Electoral College this time around. And so I'm going to be watching that very closely and things could change fast. You make one gaffe, there's an accident. I remember in Missouri with Ashcroft race in 2000. You know, you never know. It's a little bit early to tell. Right now, the race looks very competitive and not one that I would want were I the Republican nominee. North Carolina, Senator Tillis has gotten a good break. His primary opponent dropped out, and therefore he's not going to have to spend as much money and tried then to unify a fractured Republican base. That's very good news for Senator Tillis. Colorado, that is going to be a very tough race for Senator Gardner. Colorado used to be a Republican state. It was not a Republican state for long. It was a bellwether state, and it's now really because of immigration from California and from other places in the country, pot smokers. It is now a blue state. It's a very light blue state. It's like Virginia. It could go the other way, but it probably won't. Maine, Senator Collins is one of the few people who can hold that seat. She is in a very tough position because if she votes for impeachment in the Senate, she's in a tough position. And if she votes against impeachment, she's in a tough position. But Collins is going to have a problem because the impeachment debacle comes up at the worst possible moment for her. However, Republicans also are looking at a little bit of a bright spot in Alabama. Senator Jones probably should not be in the United States Senate after this election. And the other bright spot for Republicans, even if he does not win, is John James in Michigan, a very polished speaker. He's African-American. He has wide name ID. He's run statewide. He's on the news all the time, and he can raise money. And that means that the Democratic candidate will also have to spend money. candidate is a freshman senator, Senator Peters. He has very low name ID. And while I would still say the race is favored for Peters, Democrats will have to compete carefully in that state. Thank you, John and Gabby, for being with us today and participating in this ACG podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at ACG Analytics for daily and even hourly insights regarding public policy and the political economy. For more information on ACG Analytics, please go to www.acg 
ccg-analytics.com. Thank you very much.